a cold, wet night in Dublin, February 1923. A couple are seen acting suspiciously near Dominic Street, just north of the city centre. There was ongoing arguments or discussions. Definitely there was something going on. Three local women followed the couple. They saw this couple going up past them. The male with a parcel. The woman is upset. And the young lady with a, a young baby in her arms. That's Ken Boyle. The behaviour this couple just drew their attention. He's retracing the couple's steps along what are now some of the busiest streets in Dublin. I'm just going to read from the deposition of Catherine Ball of 15 Lower Dominic Street. She says... I was standing at my hall door. I saw the defendants passing with a baby. They turned into Rutland Square and went up on the left towards the Black Church. I followed them. The Black Church sits in a kind of an island in the middle of the road. She's 19 years old. He's 37. The couple are agitated, doubling back, anxiously changing direction as they hurry along in the evening rain. At the cottages opposite the church, the female defendant left down the baby. These women will give evidence at a trial of the young woman, a housekeeper from County Leitrim, who had been sent away to Dublin when pregnant, and the man, a Catholic priest named Edward Ryans. The defendants were walking away nicely, as if they'd never owned the baby. And so we're probably looking at the, the very footpath where the little baby Rose Brown was placed by her mother. The doorstep on which she left the baby is right on the footway. Uh, no doubt her mother was in particular distress. Mrs Ball roared after them to come back. Those are the statements of the witnesses to the abandoning of the two-week-old baby. Born at Hollis Street Hospital, she was given a false name. Rose Brown. They'd only got about three steps away after leaving the baby when I shouted and the crowd gathered and they could go no further. I took the baby to Fenley's and rang for the police. Constable James Murphy of the Dublin Metropolitan Police turned up and he took charge of the situation. It was a fluke that the couple were followed and caught and it was only when they were arrested that the man admitted he was a priest. But that's far from the strangest part of this story. Father Edward Ryans and the woman calling herself Kate Brown were charged with abandonment of a child and a trial was set for May 1923. The baby was taken into care. The couple went back to Leitrim where events took a darker turn before the case even got to court. Documents discovered after almost a hundred years show how the church, the IRA and the Irish Free State covered up the alleged crimes of Father Edward Ryans. The town of Mohill is about 90 miles west of Dublin. Local historian Cormac O'Sullivan is one of the few people to look closely at this story. Father Edward Ryans was originally from Arigna in North Roscommon, not far away, uh, curate in Ahavas. Uh, he was president of the Sinn Féin organisation in Leitrim in 1920. Ryans had established a reputation long before the events of 1923 and was well known to the authorities of church, state and rebels. His Republican sympathies or anti-treaty uh, viewpoint was well known. He was actually on the run. He was a Republican priest. Ryans had used his Ford Model T car to transport escaped IRA prisoners. There were financial irregularities and disputes with fellow priests. He was often in trouble with his boss, Bishop Joseph Hoare of Arda and Clonmacnoise. 
Achavas, Carigallon, January 31st, 1921. My Lord, I am very aggrieved that your Lordship should cast undeserved taunts at me. I certainly do not acknowledge that I am in sin in acting as I have done, playing the part of an Irishman in this seven-century-old struggle for freedom, from which the Irish priest was never absent. I have the honour to remain your Lordship's obedient servant, E. Ryans. A few weeks after returning to Mohill, while he was on bail on the charge of abandoning the baby in Dublin, Father Ryans would be accused of a much more serious crime, the murder of the local doctor, Paddy Muldoon. A 32-year-old doctor married with three kids. It's easily the most controversial and most intriguing killing of that period. The doctor came from a good local family. During the War of Independence, he was known to have have given first aid training to the local IRA uh, and indeed attended to some volunteers and gave them medical attention during the War of Independence. So he was quite well got, uh, well respected. Local man John Reynolds says the story has remained largely untold until now. There was always talk about it, but never the full story would ever have been uh, even attempted to be explained. All that everyone ever thought of here, when I was young or talked about here, that he was shot as an innocent man. Stroll up the town. This is one lovely street. Brian Layden is a writer who was born and grew up in Leitrim. A lovely crossroads, and on our left, then, uh, you're looking up Hyde Street. He knows um, the town of Mohill well. To put it in the context of the time, we're talking about the Irish Civil War, and Mohill, Arigna, Ballyconnell, there was a great state of agitation going on. The doctor's grandson, Michael Muldoon, was a young teenager when he was brought back to Ireland to visit the place his grandfather was killed. My father took me back when I was about uh, 13 to Mohill and that was the first time I'd been there. And uh, he explained what had happened and that he was uh, murdered. He explained to me um, with the help of the gentleman that uh, took my grandfather's boots off, he found him. He walked down with us and he showed us uh, where the gunman had been lying in ambush and where my grandfather had been uh, gunned down. On the 18th of March, 1923, the doctor and his friend, Edward Geelan, had been playing cards in the house of a local priest, the Canon Masterson. A regular Sunday night game, and you, you can imagine that these men would be... They're the kind of bureaucracy of Mohill. Uh, Geelan is a, a local council clerk, so you have the doctor and the clerk playing the cards together and then heading for a stroll, and they're going to separate down near the bridge. Now, um, Geelan sees this gunman with a rifle... Dr Muldoon cried out, don't shoot. But he was shot, and he must have died there on the spot. The day after the killing, an inquest was held in the doctor's house. Keelan gives, gives an account of how when they were coming away, 
this gunman appeared within... Ken Boyle is a distant cousin of the Muldoon family. It was a rifle and Dr Muldoon moved quickly out onto the street and said, don't shoot. But the, the gunman turned around to shoot at him and fired at him. And He has searched many archive documents to try and solve the mystery. But he continued, he, he fired at him again and another, another gunman situated across the road also fired at at Dr Muldoon, uh, so there's at least three shots, possibly more. Ken is convinced the killers knew their victim. The question was, why was he murdered and by whom? They knew it was Dr Muldoon because it had been pointed out to him. A verdict of willful murder by persons unknown was returned at the inquest. In the days after the murder, there were rumours that the priest, Edward Ryans, was somehow involved. Dr Muldoon's nephew, Thomas William Muldoon, always maintained his father, the doctor's brother, was told who was responsible. On the day of the funeral, the priest, he was a canon pink man, told my father, I believe it was Father Ryan, shot him. It was an extraordinary accusation to make about a member of the clergy. But recently discovered documents reveal Ryan's had been involved in an incident a few weeks before the murder. He was in possession of a revolver and making threats on the streets of Mohill. Thomas William died more than 20 years ago, but he left evidence, including this interview he gave in the 1990s. Uh, you see, he made his house girl pregnant. Uh, Dr Muldoon sent her to Dublin to have the baby. If the allegation was true, this was far more than a scandal about a child being born out of wedlock. It's very difficult to, to speculate 100 years later on, on the exact motives, but it was alleged that, that Father Ryans was, had, had either fathered the child or was in some way implicated uh, in respect of the pregnancy. But by and large, it is generally agreed that Dr Muldoon knew too much. The death of Dr Muldoon left behind a widow with three young children and another on the way. The doctor's grandson, Michael, grew up in England. He knows well the effect of the murder especially on the doctor's widow, Rita Lee Muldoon. She was absolutely devastated. At the time of my grandfather's death, she had three children, with, with the fourth on the way. She'd gone from a, a storybook marriage of marrying a, a young fellow who was, uh, she'd met while she was at university in Dublin. They'd, it just uh, totally devastated her, and it, it, it devastated the Muldoons as well. Nobody knew what to do, and she just basically rapidly sold up everything in Mohill and, and moved back to Clifton. Public auction at Mohill, Friday, 6th of April 1923, at 1pm, 1 comprising a mahogany telescope dining table, six mahogany chairs, a surgical couch, pictures, window poles and curtains, carpets, fenders and overmantels, a dresser... The doctor's widow was now under enormous pressure. A woman who was left a widow, particularly with multiple children, in 1920s Ireland, was in a very precarious position. That's historian Jennifer Redmond. They are a middle-class family. He's a doctor. 
But what we know is actually many GP practices weren't that profitable at this point in time. So he has this practice. It will obviously bring in some money, but perhaps not enough to have built up an enormous cash of savings. And that's what she would need. In the absence of a kind of a full welfare state, in the absence of any widow's pension, which doesn't come until 1935, um, she's going to be left in a very precarious economic position. Would she be able to keep hold of her household? Uh, would she be able to uh, maintain her children? These are questions that immediately would have come to mind for her, I'm sure. The shooting dead of this well-respected doctor and family man was widely reported. These were the last months of the Civil War, so the investigation was initially overseen by the military commander for the area. That was General Sean McKeown, and he plays a crucial part later in the story. Ken Boyle says he appears to have had close ties to Father Edward Ryans. The relationship appears to go back to, say, about 1917 and the Longford by-election. Sometime during these years, 1917 onwards, he became quite friendly with McKeown. And then we find then that after the murder of Dr Muldoon, Major General McKeown is investigating the murder on behalf of the, the National Army. General McKeown knew about Ryan's suspected involvement right from the start. This report, compiled by McKeown, was sent by the Defence Minister Richard Mulcahy to the Minister for Home Affairs, Kevin O'Higgins, about three weeks after the killing. On the night of the 18th of March, a number of men saw three persons who committed the murder. Father Ryan's met these fellows in Cahun, picked them up and took them back to Mughal. Father Ryan's himself maintains that he was in Dublin on this night, and that he was not in the locality at all. Inquiries are still proceeding on this case, and it will take considerable time to complete them. I would suggest that you would send down a few CID men and report to me here. The crime and the suspect were known about at the highest levels of the Irish Free State Government. There seems to have been, you know, a full-blooded official inquiry and the CID were involved, and they took statements and made investigations. The CID, or Criminal Investigations Department, was the unit set up originally by Michael Collins for what we'd now call counter-insurgency activities. It was separate from the Civic Guards, but in this case, it was used by the state as a detective squad. Dr Muldoon's nephew, Thomas William, found a series of reports into the investigations by the CID. They reveal lots of resistance from the locals. Criminal Investigation Department, Oriel House, Westland Road, Dublin, May 22nd, 1923. Superintendent O'Driscoll, accompanied by Inspector Mooney, proceeded to Mohol to institute inquiries into the murder. It appears very difficult to obtain any definite information locally regarding the affair. There are some parties who may know something about the murder, but although they were stiffly interrogated, they would not divulge anything. There might have been a bit of a conspiracy of silence. They certainly remark how difficult it is to get anyone to give information on this particular event. And yet someone is able to uh, you know, raise a rifle at the bridge, at the bottom of the hill in Mohol, shoot the local doctor in, down in cold blood. But the CID did locate one crucial witness from that night, a neighbour of the priest. Superintendent Driscoll was under investigations and he had a statement taken from Flynn, who wasn't in the area, who was watching the car from that night. According to the statement of Patrick James Flynn, a Havas, 
Father Rhines came to their house on the night of the shooting in his own car. He remained in Flynn's house up to 10pm, when he and Flynn left for his own house, and then they both returned to Flynn's house at about 11pm. He left for Dublin the following morning at about 9am. Flynn has been very closely questioned about his statement, and he's sticking to it. Although this local man places Ryan's at the scene, he never appears in any report beyond that. Local speculation was that Dr Muldoon was killed because he told Bishop Hoare about the priest and the pregnancy, and that he was ready to give evidence at the upcoming trial of Ryan's and his housekeeper for abandoning the baby. Well, the theory was that he knew more than uh, a lot of people would want him to tell. That's local man John Reynolds. And that did not go well with the kind of situation you had here in Ireland at the time, both church and state. And the last thing they wanted was a scandal of that nature. So was Ryan's acting on his own initiative using local IRA men? Or was there a conspiracy of church, state and rebels to have the doctor killed? Or at the very least, to make sure Ryan's was never put on trial for the murder? The priest's friend, General Sean McKeown, oversaw the arrest of Ryan's and had him sent to Dublin for trial, but only on the charges of abandoning baby Rose Brown. He was arrested in Keju on the 30th of March by the military authorities and he was brought to Athlone. On the 18th of April, he was transferred from military to civilian authorities to uh, Mountjoy Prison in Dublin. The priest wrote to Sean McKeown throughout his time in prison. Ken Boyle says it seems the general did all he could to help. McKeown met with him, then spoke with him, and we know that Father Rhines was asking, begging McKeown for assistance in the situation that he now found himself, which was facing a trial in Dublin for the child abandonment. Dublin, Thursday, 19th of April, 1923. Ahara. The worst, it appears, has happened. If you can do anything further by conversation with the powers that be, I beg of you to do so. If my supposed Republican sympathies are the cause of the government's animosity, this is unfounded. With this other case, I am in the sheerest hard luck. Could I ask you to call to see me? Could my car be restored to Kiju? There are an awful lot of valuable accessories on it. Ryan's clearly felt strongly about his car. To spare my people the pain of knowing I'm here, I've directed them to write to Athlone. Perhaps you would have letters, if any, sent on here. With kind regards, sincerely yours, E. Ryan's. McKeown acknowledges the letter and promises to visit Ryan's in Mountjoy the following week. Ken Boyle finds it unusual that the General would be so willing to help. Father Rhines was known to be a supporter of the anti-treaty side. That should have made it a bit easier for McKeown to turn down his request for assistance. Father Rhines was a suspect in the killing of Dr Muldoon. That should have helped and allowed McKeown to turn down his request for, for assistance. But as we conceived in the correspondence between the two of them, he did assist them. Um, very unusual in a sense, you know, that somebody who is involved in a murder um, investigation um, would help a prime suspect, you know, while the case remains unsolved. While the investigation into the murder in Mohill continued, the trial of the priest and his housekeeper was about to get underway in Dublin without a potentially crucial witness, Dr Muldoon. 
a witness and a witness being a doctor was a very strong case. If there had been any speculation about the father, this doctor would have been a witness, at least to the priest's involvement, in some way. The mother of baby Rose Brown was summoned to appear. The CID arrested her in Leitrim the night before the trial, but never brought her to court in Dublin. The mother of the illegitimate child was arrested at Clune, Mohol, on the night of the 9th. She was conveyed to Athlone, where she is at present detained, awaiting instructions as to whether further proceedings will be taken against her. P.M. Moynihan, Director, CID. I'm thinking perhaps how difficult it might have been for her and awkward for the state to be giving evidence against a priest. Jennifer Edmund says the doctor and the woman might have made an even more shocking revelation in court. Either he knew because she was having difficulties and needed a doctor at some point, perhaps a condition, uh, maybe she was bleeding at some point and needed some help, um, or he was approached for a termination. It's very difficult to say what did Dr Muldoon know. Uh, did, uh, did he know who fathered the child? Was he asked to do something else? Maybe he was asked for you know to perform a termination. The abandonment trial went ahead in Dublin on the 11th of May, 1923, without the crucial witnesses. The defendant, Edward Ryans, stands charged with having unlawfully conspired to abandon an infant, Rose Brown, aged two weeks, at St Mary's Place in said district, thereby endangering her life. It was the women from Dominic Street who were giving evidence against the priest in court. A crowd gathered round the defendants. They'd only got about three steps away after leaving the baby when I shouted and the crowd gathered and they could go no further. They didn't get far after leaving down the baby. A great many people gathered. The male defendant then turned back and asked me to give him the baby. I refused. During the trial, the priest gave this explanation of his involvement in the case. The girl acted as a housekeeper in my house for a couple of months. She alleged to me that her trouble was caused by a fellow friend of my family who had been about my house, and she threatened to expose the matter. I did my best then to keep it cloaked, and I thought all could be kept quiet if the girl went away for the necessary time. When the child was born in Dublin, I went up to arrange to have it looked after. My idea was, as the only safe and proper means to get the assistance and advice of some religious community. I went with the girl to Dominic Street Fathers, but found there was a mission on in the church at the time. The girl got impatient and hysterical, and when coming down within a couple of hundred yards of Dominic Street Church, she left the child on a doorstep and came running after me. I went back. Meanwhile, some person saw her do as she did and, and followed her. Others came then. I might easily have not waited but chose to do so. Police came on the scene and I went with them to explain the incident. His testimony, where he blames the woman, is at odds with the evidence from the women who followed the couple on that night. Historian Jennifer Redmond believes this explanation is highly unlikely. The only thing that it can really call to mind is, is not wanting to answer questions about where the child came from and its parentage. Perhaps because maybe the, the woman was very unstable at this point in time. She'd only just given birth. She perhaps didn't want to part with the child. Uh, and maybe she just wasn't trusted by the priest not to reveal the whole circumstances of its conception and birth. 
This could also explain why the young woman was not brought to Dublin to stand trial. In the event, Cormac O'Sullivan says the case was dropped against the mother of baby Rose Brown. The priest was remanded in custody. Uh, the jury just couldn't agree that either Father Ryans or the young lady uh, were guilty of the charge. The priest gave his friend Sean McKeown a very different account of who the father of the child was and why he was lying in court. Achara, I had made up my mind to give you the name you asked. On your word of honour, do not use it in any way. My brother. Father Ryans not only implicates his brother, he indirectly admits to perjury. I am trusting you to do your best. So much depends on it for our family. Above all, do not allow this name to get out. If the proceedings were quashed, as far as the authorities in Dublin are concerned, and I'm sure you can have this done, I will have good grounds to work upon. Sincerely yours, E. Ryans. He then appeals to McKeown for help. I beg of you for all time and friendship's sake to do all you can. As the court proceedings dragged on, the church hierarchy appears to have left Ryans to his own devices. Whatever funds Father Ryans had to pay for legal defence ran out. He would appear to have been left on his own, and that kind of suggests that his diocese weren't helping him financially. But they were keeping a very close watch on the priest. Bishop Poor was obviously taking a very um, keen interest in Father Ryan's legal predicament and his, and his imprisonment. Bishop Hoare received this letter from the Mountjoy prison chaplain while Ryan's was on trial for the abandonment of the baby. My dear Lord Bishop, I regret extremely that your Lordship's kind intervention did not prove as effective as we had hoped. It is good to have tried but I have an idea that our friend is not likely to get much quarter. It's hard to see what more your lordship can do in the circumstances. One must only await events and hope that scandal might be unwound or atoned for. I beg to remain, my dear Lord Bishop, M. McMahon. We don't know what the intervention was, but it came from the highest level in the church. Father Edward Ryans was not convicted of child abandonment, in spite of two more trials. Strangely, for a clergyman, a so-called respectable member of society, he was refused bail and was kept in Mountjoy Prison for the remainder of 1923. As for the baby's mother, by the time of the second trial, she was said to be in an asylum, perhaps damaged by the whole ordeal. And the baby named Rose Brown, she was rescued from the doorstep by the women at the Black Church in Dublin that night and delivered into the care of the state. The baby, it seems, went to St. Patrick's Guild on the Navan Road. Her prospects were either to stay within an institution and she would have been, as she grew older, uh, sent on to different things like an industrial school perhaps or a convent. Um, she could have gone into a Magdalene herself, uh, which children often did when they were from those circumstances. However, by the time of the trial for her abandonment, the baby was dead. On her death record, it's uh, given that the certified cause of death was uh, gastritis. She was three months old. The circumstances of her death, unfortunately, are also not that unusual. In St. Patrick's Guild, almost 50% of the children were dying.
after the trials in Dublin for the Ryan's return to Mohill, where any charges in relation to the murder of Dr Muldoon seemed to have mysteriously evaporated. A scandal, it seemed, had been averted. But speculation about who shot the doctor continued. Along with the priest, the identity of the gunman was pointing in one particular direction. The name that kept cropping up was John Charlie Keegan. Historian Cormac O'Sullivan has spoken to many people close to the story. John Charlie Keegan, um, heavily involved in the War of Independence, uh, was interned during the Civil War. He was actually on the Free State side, but subsequently turned and went on the anti-treaty side. He had escaped from Atlone two weeks before Dr Muldoon was killed. The doctor's nephew, Thomas William Muldoon, also received testimony from people who said the man who fired the shot that night was Keegan. John Charlie Keegan was known and is known to be the man that did the shooting. He caused a lot of shootings and a lot of trouble. He was an outlaw, a madman, this Keegan was. Brian Layden says the priest would have had no trouble recruiting IRA men like Keegan. He was as much a soldier as a curist, so he would have fought alongside these men, known these men. This um, loyalty, I think, might have helped him to recruit some of those members to serve his own ends. CID reports at the time named Keegan and another man named Castles as being involved. John Charles Keegan, suspected of being implicated in the shooting, is at present on the run. A diligent search was carried out in his usual haunts, but without results. John Reynolds was a neighbour of Keegan's. He was a noted gunman, there's no question about that, and he wasn't He wasn't shy when it came to uh, making his own case. But he did seem to be quite emphatic that he wasn't the man who killed Dr Muldoon. And yet, to this day, people would still swear that it was John Charlie Keegan killed him. He, he never admitted publicly, but the, the source that I spoke to was quite uh, firm and adamant that Keegan was involved in the night, was there, and it was done under the instruction of Father Ryans. Nobody was ever charged with Dr Muldoon's murder. There is a clue to the reason why this case was never pursued in the testimony of the doctor's nephew, Thomas William in the interview he gave in 1993. Superintendent Driscoll was going to arrest this Keegan and Cassis. And he reported to Kevin O'Higgins, who was a minister of justice in Dublin. And Kevin O'Higgins came down to Bishop Hoare, and he, Bishop Hoare said, don't disgrace the Catholic religion, he deals with him. Don't disgrace the Catholic religion. He would deal with him. It appears there was intervention at the highest levels of the state with the knowledge of the church to let the case drop. It also suggests why the priest remained locked up in Mount Joy for most of 1923 to simply let things settle. Although nobody had been charged, the name of Father Edward Ryans was still linked to the killing. The priest was determined to, as he saw it, clear his name. He put pressure on senior figures in the Republican movement to help. He obviously had enough credibility with even certain key figures in the IRA for them to still help him, despite being tainted by this moral uh, murder, which was nothing to do with their overall political ideology. While there had been an IRA inquiry into the killing, it appears to have heard only from the gang that carried it out. 
Ryan's persuaded senior members, including Chief of Staff Frank Aiken, to release a statement saying the IRA had accidentally shot the doctor. It appeared in the national newspapers in May of 1924. It has been stated that a civilian is responsible for the death of Dr Muldoon. The civilian mentioned was Father Edward Ryan's. This is entirely untrue. The following are the facts of the shooting. On the night of March the 18th, 1923, a party of volunteers was detailed to enter Mohill for the purpose of ambushing a free state patrol. When the party had been in position for some time, two men wearing trench coats appeared. But there was a problem with the statement. It described the doctor and his companion as wearing mufti, or army-style trench coats, leading to them being mistaken for free state soldiers, staters and mufti. On being ordered to halt, they took flight. As they refused to halt, our men came to the conclusion that the two men were staters in mufti and opened fire on them. The death of Dr Muldoon is very much regretted by the volunteers who shot him. At the inquiry they proved to the satisfaction of their superior officers, that his death was the result of a terrible accident. It is very regrettable that any civilian should be blamed for Dr Muldoon's death. This attempt by Ryans to have the IRA clear his name backfired. Very soon after the statement was issued, Rita Lee Muldoon took on the IRA. She wrote to the newspapers disputing the claims. Sir, in your issue of the 17th, an official statement from the Republican Publicity Department appears in reference to the murder of my husband, the late Dr M.P. Muldoon of Mohill. I would like to thank you to publish the following facts in contradiction of the official report. On the night of his murder, my husband wore a light grey lounge suit, a Stenon hat and no overcoat of any kind. Neither did his companion wear a trench coat. She also challenged the contention in the IRA statement, suggesting the doctor was shot as he tried to run away. The position of the fatal and only wound under his right collarbone proves profoundly that he was shot at the point of the rifle and not while running away. It was further disclosed at the inquest that the night was bright and that a streetlight was close by, and it is called an unavoidable accident. Rita also discredited any IRA inquiry. I now hear for the first time of a Republican inquiry. For what reason was the finding of this supposed inquiry suppressed for 14 months? And perhaps the Republican investigator could tell me who owned the motor car that took the murderers away. Who is this alleged civilian? Although she didn't name him, she was calling out Father Edward Ryans. If, as rumour has it, a civilian was responsible for the brutal and callous murder of my husband, why does not this civilian take appropriate action with a view to having his character vindicated? What now is the motive for trying to veneer the conduct of this civilian? I believe that my husband was not murdered for any political reason, but political ends were probably used for so doing. Could the publicity department give me the name of the civilian whom rumour holds responsible? Were the three men who committed the murder prompted and urged to do so by the civilian with a view to personal revenge or suppression of previous iniquities? Yours, etc. Mrs Rita Lee Muldoon, 17th May 1924. This was a very brave move by the doctor's widow. This is an extremely brave woman. This is not uh, what is done in many cases. There are other cases where people are killed mistakenly or for personal reasons uh, and their families and their widows don't go on the offensive quite so much. Her personal safety, I think, was on the line. 
uh, by making these kind of cries for justice. And of course, she wasn't wrong to do so. The doctor's grandson admired his grandmother's persistence. She, she never for, forgot any of it, and she never forgave anybody for what had happened. Thomas Williams said the IRA had given no instructions to the gang that night. They had no instructions of the IRA to anyone in the town that night. They never should have meant it for a sense. Ryans was angry that Rita Muldoon had torn the IRA statement apart. He spent the rest of 1924 attempting to get the matter sorted out, going all the way to the president of Sinn Féin, Eamon de Valera. Achara, I have to make an appeal to you on a matter of great seriousness to which I beg of you to give your immediate attention. You may know of my identity. I did plenty of work for the boys in the Black and Tans times, being also on the run myself for nine months, and also in the recent war. He had tried all possible avenues to uh, get himself out of the predicament he was in. The Free State people seized my car, which cost me £500. On my release, they brazenly wrote to the bishop, Dr Hoare, that they released me on condition that I would clear out of the country at once. One of his own letters, he mentions he's looked upon as a murderer. You know, it's, it's in the papers. It's, you know, he's saying that the, um, the Free State authorities are publicising the fact that he's a murderer. Of course, if I try to fight the bishop for an appointment, he will tell me that the whole country believes I am a murderer. He would, of course, be delighted if I cleared out. They may be in league to effect this. I cannot do anything until the Muldoon affair is cleared up and I believe you will admit I am suffering a most cruel injustice. I know such treatment of the individual would be very foreign to your ideas of the citizens' rights. Le Mass Moore, Reverend E. Ryans. The IRA now realised the statement they had released in May of 1924 wasn't properly researched and sent an intelligence officer to Leitrim to establish the facts. To Chief of Staff Frank Aiken. I got back to town yesterday afternoon after the worst five days I ever spent. The motorcycle I had turned out to be an absolute crock and practically made one of me too. No results from the trip. His report condemns the priest on both charges of getting his housekeeper pregnant and of the murder of Dr Muldoon. The one fact of which I feel personally convinced is that Ryan's is a bad lot as he is the only one who has kept the matter alive by his persistence. The most obvious and simple course, and the one which I would recommend, would be to let the case drop altogether and get over the Ryan's difficulty by telling him straight out to clear himself publicly of the first charge and the second one, which hinged on it, would then fall flat. He is very reluctant to refer to or discuss the first charge, of which he is undoubtedly guilty, and there are certainly grounds for suspecting him of the second. Anyhow, an individual like him deserves scant attention. The best course would be to let the case drop and so obviate the difficulty of reconciling contradictory statements and untying a black knot. After his appeals to the church and the IRA failed to vindicate him, it was the state that finally dealt with the problem of Father Ryan's. And it seems it was done with the agreement of church and rebel forces. The solution involved his one-time friend and comrade, General Sean McKeown, and his Ford Model T car. On the 17th of June 1925, Canon Donoghue writes to McKeown and tells him that Ryan's has consented to go to America. Um, the letter goes on to say that Father Ryan's mentioned that the car that had been captured or impounded by the National Army uh, was never returned to him or was returned to him in such a 
bad condition that it had devalued the car. Two days later, McKeown acknowledges Canon Donoghue's letter and he also writes to the chief of staff in Dublin, setting out the situation of what happened to Carr. He was, you know, setting about the uh, compensating of Father Rhines and the exit to America of Father Rhines as quickly as he could, as it would seem. On the 10th of August, his uh, staff officer writes to Canon Donoghue and confirms that Father Rhines has received £250 compensation. Father Rhines emigrated to America in, in October of 1925. From the evidence, it appears that General Sean McKeown was acting at least in part on higher instructions to cover for Edward Ryans. We are now wise enough to notice a pattern here that Father Ryans was moved. And the bishop had him moved someplace else where he was moved. And we know that in later years he was in England and uh, this is a pattern we now recognise as a way of dealing with a problem we don't want to deal with. Ryan's continued to serve as a priest in the US and the UK, spending many years in Markham in Lancashire, where he died in 1964. Thomas William Muldoon tracked down and confronted him in England in the 1950s. Even then, it seems, the priest had used his connections to help cover his tracks. Have papers here to prove my innocence of anything to do with the shooting of Muldoon. One letter was from Sean O'Farrell, whatever title he was in the IRA, giving him this letter to Dr. Muldoon was shot through a mistake, and this, you had nothing we were going to do whatsoever with the shooting. Another letter from Sean McCone, stating Dr. Muldoon was shot by mistake. And he said, Now do you see them letters? I do, said I, certainly. That was about as far as Thomas William got but the evidence he left behind has helped to establish the facts of the case. Dr Paddy Muldoon is buried at Fina Graveyard, about five miles from Mohill. I think this is the grave here. It is indeed. In fact, the inscription isn't going to uh, let these powers that be off lightly because it reads, In undying memory of my beloved husband, Paddy, Dr. M.P. Muldoon, who was cruelly murdered at Mohill County Leitrim, 18th of March, 1923. You can imagine that it causes a certain lowering of eyes as people pass, because obviously it was known who the killers were, whether it was Keegan or not, and people had to know. Very little is known of what happened to the young woman the mother of baby Rose Brown. The, lo- the local accounts in Leitrim, the belief that she uh, emigrated to America. Uh, there's, there's even a su- suggestion that she went out to Lowell in Massachusetts and married an Italian. For the Muldoon family, Rita raised four children, three of whom became doctors, and nowadays they have family across the world. But Rita struggled to come to terms with her loss until her own death in 1953. She never remarried. She was broken-hearted. She kept the shirt he was shot in right to the end. I believe they, they burned the shirt after my grandmother's death. And she kept it uh, as it was. It was never washed. It is most likely the murder of Dr Paddy Muldoon was a personal vendetta 
by a renegade priest. But it's also clear that for almost a hundred years it was covered over by an unholy trinity of church, state and rebels. He and his family were the victims of larger forces all together because you had a scandal within the Catholic Church with this maverick priest, Father Ryans. You had the Republican movement with their deep loyalties. And then you have the forces of the Free State who are under extreme pressure from Bishop Hoare uh, to make sure that a, a desperate scandal in terms of the church uh, shouldn't come out. There's a nexus of very powerful, larger forces at work in what looks like you know, very far-flung, quiet part of Leitrim. 